It sold more than 35 million copies. And many speculate that that figure could have been far higher if not for the child abuse allegations which emerged during this era. 1991's Dangerous begins with smashing glass and for 77 minutes it takes you on a fantastic, sometimes hard-edged pop journey with a sound that was just not classic Michael Jackson at the time. The album cover art tells the story, really, created by artist Mark Ryden, who was chosen because of his obsession with old-school circus posters. The spectacular cover is mysterious and open to interpretation. It's overlooked by Michael's heavily airbrushed eyes, which themselves are framed by a massive theatrical mask. Stay tuned for more interpretation of this amazing album cover. Dangerous spawned nine singles. Why don't artists do that anymore? And as usual, you can't understand the majority of lyrics Michael Jackson is singing, but that's almost a signature now, isn't it, really? And it's often said that Dangerous marks the final time that Michael Jackson was Michael Jackson. I'm joined by a great panel today. Uh, Meg's, of course, the co-host with the mostest, Rocco, the mysteriously named Third Eye. And Josh, welcome to the show, everyone. Hey. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great to have you all. Yeah, it's a fantastic panel. We're looking at Michael Jackson. This is the first time that the Time to Talk show has done Michael Jackson. Rocco, welcome to the show, my friend. You are a massive Michael fan, right? Yeah, this was actually the album that made me a fan of Michael. I was um, I was three years old uh, when I first found out about this album. The album had been out a while at that point, but um, I went shopping one day with my parents to the store. It was called Caldor. I don't think they have it anymore, but it was like a Walmart, Target type department store. And they had um, a music section. And I found the Dangerous album on cassette. And I didn't know who Michael Jackson was. I didn't know anything about what his music sounded like or anything. I just knew that the album cover was wow. insane and I loved it. And I, I needed to know what this music sounded like. And so I begged my parents to buy me the tape, begged them, begged them, begged them. They finally gave in and we listened to it on the way home. And uh, Jam was the first song on the album. And I think that may have been the first dance song that I ever heard. And from that point on, I was a huge, huge fan. I believe you can use Meg's The Dangerous cover to separate the human species into particular categories. There's those who go, okay, that's a Michael Jackson album cover. And then there are those who have it 12 centimetres away from their eyes, Mm. scanning every detail, which I'm almost categorically certain that Rocco would have been one of those ones. Rocco, I'm really looking forward to hearing more of your views about Dangerous. But we do have to introduce the mysteriously named Third Eye. Welcome to the show, Third Eye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's not the first album of Michael that I heard. The first album that I heard from Michael is History. But um, when I first listened to all the History songs on there, the Dangerous ones uh, included in in the compilation of his most popular songs are the ones that I mostly enjoyed. And the Dangerous album, um, the first time I heard it was because a friend of mine uh, gave it to me as a present for my birthday. So I kept on listen to, listening to it with over time. And it, it, it's not my favorite MJ record. Um, I guess we'll probably in the future discuss uh, my favorite one. But it's still one of my favorite ones because it's such a... it's really, really different sounding from the rest of the Michael Jackson albums. 
It is a fantastic piece of work. And Josh over there in the UK, g'day, mate. Hi, yeah. Well, Dangerous was kind of... My mother was a massive Michael Jackson fan. Um, she's sadly no longer with us. Um, but she was a huge MJ fan. So I was pretty much sort of raised on Michael Jackson and, the well, the rest of the Jackson's music as well. Um, I'd have to say Dangerous. The videos for this one probably stood out to me the most as a child. And pro- actually, some of my favourite MJ songs are on this album. Like Remember the Time, uh, Heal the World I Love as well. And Gone Too Soon as well, which actually my mother was buried to. Oh, that's lovely. And I'm glad that you said that, Josh, because Gone Too Soon gets a really bad rap. Let me just say this. First of all, it's misunderstood. A lot of people think Michael wrote it. He didn't. It's a Dion Warwick song and it's a cover. Mm. He does it beautifully. But a lot of people say it doesn't sit particularly well in this album. But I understand why he has it on, on this album. It's... It's beautiful, but a lot of people say it's too schmaltzy, it's too sweet, it's too sugary, but I love the lyrics. And I've heard lots of people criticise the lyrics and say, cheese, cheese, cheese city. But for me, I just, even when I first heard this album, I loved it. I need to explain to probably everyone on the panel something before we start, because I think everyone else is catastrophically younger than me. When this album came out... It was an unbelievable event and there was, for people like me at least, and in the more broad community as well, such massive excitement. Everything was a launch. Everything was a launch. Not just the album, but the black and white, obviously, which kicked it off. This was an event. I mean, in the United States, as I understand it, it was, went to air in uh, on a couple of different channels and it was like massively tuned into. In Australia, the same thing. We tried to have it. I think we did in, in Australia have it. At simultaneously with the United States, even though the hour was quite late, but plenty of people stayed up for it. And then from that point forward, everything that was launched, every video clip that you guys have already referred to, were all events. I just love mm. what he did. I, I love the audacity. A lot of people hate him for it mm. as well because he made himself into a godlike creature yeah. and he remains that way to this day. But nonetheless, you, I just I really do miss those days where you'd go oh it's tuesday and i'm at school and but on saturday or friday michael jackson's releasing something and, yeah. and you knew it wasn't just for you you knew the whole world would be tuning in with you yeah now the only substitute we have for that is social media like wildfire like something just spreading across and everyone like you know sharing it and all that sort of stuff yeah but it's it's not it's not the same height that you're describing which i would have loved to feel I remember that around the time that I became a fan, the home video, Dangerous, the short films, was out. And uh, my mother actually worked at a video store at the time, and she bought me the video. And um, I remember seeing In the Closet on MTV or VH1 before. But um, that was the first time I saw, like, every single short film from the album. And um, I remember watching the montage at the beginning, the Brace Yourself montage with all the fans just going crazy over him. And I remember not really understanding that as, as, as at such a young age. Um, and even today, to this day, I don't understand it. But I remember um, singing and, and, and being able to sense how, how a big deal Michael Jackson was and, of course, how talented he was. Rocco, would you like to give us a bit of background to this album? Yeah, so this album um, was originally going to be a greatest hits album. Epic, what? Uh, yeah, Michael Jackson's record label, uh, Epic Records, wanted him to do an album called Decade. Um, it was originally going to be called Decade 1979 to 1989, and it was going to be two CDs with some new material. 
And it was the last, uh, Bad was the last album that he worked on with Quincy Jones. And that was a mutual decision because Michael wanted to start working with new people and do something different. And so he worked with Teddy Riley, who was very big in the uh, New Jack Swing genre, which was combining hip hop with dance music. And um, this album, I believe, is one of the, if not the best-selling New Jack Swing albums of all time. I can't imagine doing um, a greatest hits, even though that's pretty standard for other artists, would have resonated with him particularly strongly because he, he always so wanted early. to do something new. Yeah. Always it wanted so to create. For that, and even with history, even though that ended up being a one-disc greatest hits, there was a whole new album attached to that as yeah. well. So even when he did do a greatest hits off his own steam, he made sure that it, it was an event as well and, and brand new. Yeah. I have actually witnessed that uh, MJ in this album brings in new special elements that he hadn't, that, I mean, that's due to the new producers, right? But it's new special elements to his music that he hadn't used yeah. before, like uh, beatbox sample beats. That's the first time we ever heard that in, yeah. uh, I think it's in Can't Let Her Get Away. The, the beat is sample, it's a beatbox sample. He also brings in more frequent rock, as as in beat it. He had already used it, but this time it's more frequent, frequent like in uh, black and white and given to me actually, and guitar solos, and also fast rapping by guest artists. For example, Heavy D is a rapper that appears in Jam, and there's also some guest appearances in um, in She Drives Me Wild. There's also rap in there, so that's also new for his music. Yeah, some of these sound effects too that he brought in, I mean, he hadn't done that before. Uh, so like there's a car horn, there's smashing glass, like you say, there's the beatboxing. Yeah, he really incorporates stuff that he hadn't done before. This this is easy for us to look back now and think this sounds like Michael Jackson. But at the time, I remember thinking this is totally different. The Quincy mm. Jones effect wasn't there, you can tell. Yeah. And it went on, if it wasn't for Thriller and Bad, people would look back on this album and, and it would be in our consciousness as one of the biggest albums of all time, which it is, but compared to the other two, you know, I, I might have even outsold Bad by the end, but 32 million copies, eight times platinum in the United States, and what we can never put into words is the impact on popular culture. Massive. The mm. video clips, the the events, the, the marketing, the style. Mm. He was just everywhere. He released nine singles of the 12 here. Yeah. Why don't they do that anymore, by the way? Yeah, well, like... The, Hello, that's, Kylie, that's Disco. the thing I think about this album. Like, he just, he doesn't hold back. And then when you look back and say he had so many hits, it's like, well, he put, like, nine, nine of them on the same album. Like, he just did hit after hit. Like, he didn't, you know, he just threw it all into the one album. And I think it, that's what makes it a killer album. It's just like he just didn't hold back. Here's a I mean? testament to how big he was. Mm. People go, oh, yeah, but of those nine, not all of them made it into the top ten. In fact, only four of them did or something like that. It's like, uh, excuse me, four out of you know, any other artists? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's big whoop. It's, it's, it's massive. It's not easy. But because to... it's Michael Jackson, people expected every one of us to get in the top ten. Yeah. Wow. Well, and, and popular music was also going in a different direction. Um, I remember in 92, I think, Nirvana's Nevermind album uh, kicked Michael Jackson off the top of the charts in the United States. So, it, you know, it, it was starting to become, you know, competition, I think, even though Michael Jackson was still um, the biggest artist uh, at that particular time, um, you know, it, there was a bit more competition, I think, going into this new decade. Sometimes amateurs know best. 
and a lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the Time to Talk show. Join Tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news, music, and pop culture treats. Time to Talk, the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners. Amateurs, is this the best that they could do? But, you know, you got to hand it to him for trying to do something different and do something new. And also with the videos, I mean, or the short films, rather, all the celebrity guest appearances he had. He had, like, Michael Jordan in Jam, Naomi Campbell in the, in the Closet, um, Eddie Murphy in Remember the Time, Macaulay Culkin uh, in Black or White. I mean, it was such a great era. In the UK, it actually had seven top ten singles off it. Mm. Um, only I think Jam and Gone Too Soon didn't go to the top ten, and it actually in the UK had the most top ten singles off any album for about I think it held the record for about twenty years. I think Ooh, yes. Calvin Harris, I think, or Ed Sheeran or somebody like that knocked him off it. But yeah, that's pretty amazing. Art. I think the cover art is it is a piece of art. I think it really is. It used to the eyes used to creep me out a little bit as a young person <laughs> but it is incredible how they've done it i think it's absolutely stunning do you know josh it took six months to create wow which probably doesn't surprise anybody i know it's six months like honestly when you look this is going to sound really geeky and boring for the majority of people listening however i often think about this when this guy uh, is drawing up this incredible piece of art which was not heavily reliant on computer technology um there was a lot of just organic talent went into this i keep thinking he must have had a lot of stress on him when they reduced the size of it to a cd or a cassette as rocco said he bought i was imagining the album cover on cassette like how does that Mm. work so there's a lot of um incredible work that would have went into just making sure that after the size was reduced it was still something that was visually pleasing and that you could actually still explore Mm. had to be so that's a bit of a geeky question that i'm asking i wonder how the devil they did that Mm. this the cover was actually inspired by the leave it alone uh short film you know Mm. kind of michael's plea for privacy almost and 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 kind of hiding behind all of these kind of facets of creative inspiration if you look deep enough you'll see macaulay culkin is in there um You'll see like little Michael Jackson from the Jackson Five. You see like a little drawing of him from like the thriller period. I mean, it, it, you need to look at it on vinyl because I have the vinyl too. And when you really see it that big, you notice. I noticed things from that cover that I never know, knew was there before. I love some of the drafts that were went into this that I don't think most people know about. This guy took to Michael Jackson about three or four drafts. And as Rocco points out, Leave Me Alone video clip was inspiration for a lot of those drafts. There was something about maybe Michael emerging from the from a skeleton or from the bowels of a dead corpse or something like that. There was all kinds of things, very much based on that circusy uh, turn of a century theme. But on this, there's stuff, if you go and look at it, like it's very, there's a lot of numerology in this, things like that. There's, I think there's a prism or two here and standing on a palm. At one point, there's a black child holding the skull of the elephant man, it's open to interpretation is the point. Hmm. You can look at it and go, I wonder what he was trying to say there. But I think the point is that uh, Bubbles is on there too, Rocco. 
which is very exciting. Yeah, Bubbles, P.T. Barnum. There's also um, another story I heard where Mark Ryden said that um, Michael's team sent him songs from the album to listen to while he was creating the artwork so that he could have a, a cover that went with the music of the album. So I think that's important to note too. It wasn't just devoid or separated from the, the actual music. He, he wrote, he was creating this with the, with the music itself in mind as well. Hmm. Okay. Album cover aside, let's talk about the music here. Hey, third eye. What stands out for you in terms of the, the, the sound of Dangerous? Well, when it comes to the sound, as I already said, there's um, new elements in there, but I would like to focus a lot more on the story told in the songs and the lyrics. For example, yeah. Why You Want to Trip on Me, we already talked about that track. It's, it, well, no, it's not the first song ever, but it's one of the first songs ever uh, where Michael Jackson complains about the media like we already talked about the leave me alone music video but in in this song he directly talks about it talks to the media saying that there's more important things to focus on and talk about in the news articles rather than his life and also in in the closet mj expands the main topic of his songs once more like it, it's a step forward he he dares to talk about sex in the song for the first time he had never done that, and he would do that like once again in the future. And there's actually many unreleased songs from this era, like Work That Body or She Got It, that had the same topic as In The Closet, like taking a step forward and talking about um, sexual stuff. And I'm glad this one made it through because the other ones didn't. Let's zoom in on In The Closet for a moment because yeah. this was a really uh, a brave song for Michael Jackson to do in some ways. Now, Famously, Madonna wanted him to take this further. I think Madonna mm. instinctively knew what Michael Jackson was trying to do here. He was being cheeky, yes. really trying to own. You know, one of the best things you can do when you're being criticised or when somebody's attacking you is to own the attack. That's mm. what a lot of, I mean, a lot of community groups have done that. The um, the homosexual community has done that many times. Feminists yeah. have done that many times. You own particular words, all of that mm. sort of stuff. I believe Michael Jackson was really clever here. He went, okay, if you want to keep speculating about my sexuality, I'm going to write a song called In the Closet. Madonna being Madonna wanted him to take that full breadth in the video clip, you know, mm. cross-dressing, all kinds yeah. of things, and, and he didn't want to go quite to that length. <laughs> However, I mean, this this song, first of all, I've got to say with the video clip, even though artistically it's fantastic, there is just no chemistry at all between him and poor old Naomi Campbell. Oh. Uh, there really isn't. There's no chemistry. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, what was he trying to say in this song, do you think? Well, some people think he misread the meaning of in the closet, like that he, that he thought it <laughs> really? meant like keep it private, but it actually means that you're gay and you haven't come out about it. And some people think that he misunderstood it, and other people think that he was saying that he was gay, and that that song's proof of it. And wow. was proof of it, and that well, sort of thing. Well, actually, Madonna did an interview. First of all, M Michael wrote in the closet. From what I hear, M Michael wrote in the closet with Madonna in mind. He wanted to work with her and do a song with her, and this was a, a song that he wrote with her in mind. But she actually did an interview with Jonathan Ross in 1992 when she was promoting um, Erotica and the Sex Book, and she said that Michael presented the song to her and said that it was called In the Closet. And Madonna said, do you know what that implies? And she said that he said, yeah, and he kind of giggled a little bit. So he, I think, had an idea of what it meant. I think 
what Madonna said was that all he wanted was a provocative title with innuendo in the title, but that he didn't want the song to live up to that innuendo. And she, that's the direction that she wanted to take it to. Yeah. But I mean, look, he was, you know, he had so many secrets to hide Michael Jackson and where she wanted to go would have made him very vulnerable and he would just not have wanted to go there. But on set, they could have negotiated and collaborated and negotiated with Madonna, you reckon? Yeah. Well, it would have been hard, but clearly it was hard. He was Michael Jackson. I think if he had gone in the direction Madonna wanted to go in, it would have just furthered speculation. And I think Michael was trying to do the opposite. I think he was trying to end the speculation. Um, Maybe not such a realistic goal, knowing how the public and the media operates. But I think that was more where he was going with it rather than where Madonna wanted to take it, which probably only would have continued the questioning, you know. This was released before the internet and it was impossible to find out who that voice was on the track. And it was, everyone had an opinion about it yeah. on the playground. Like, who was it? Is it Madonna? Is it, uh, there was many, it wasn't Naomi Campbell. There were so mm. many names floated around as who was the name. Uh, yeah. When the internet comes out, then you can get quick confirmation of things. Well, nobody would have guessed. Do you know who it was random. in the end? The princess or the of the the thing, the <laughs> Stephanie of Monaco. Monaco, yeah. yes, that's yeah. <laughs> and he chose her because he uh, he really liked her speaking voice. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's quite random. Hey, Rocco, was he gay? Um, I have no way of knowing for sure, but I do not see any signs that he was. And I'm gay, so I think I could probably tell. My mum always yeah, said he, he married right. Lisa Marie Prezzi as a publicity stunt just to get people off the bat saying he was gay. <laughs> my um, granny, she when um, I think it was when Thriller, my mother was a teenager when that came out. She was sort of like 18, 19. And my grandmother used to say, oh, he's, he's, he bats the other side, you know, all oh, this, that and the other. And she was a bit like, no, 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 because obviously from following all the way through. But then she, she just reckoned he was a bit odd more than anything else <laughs> i think he might have been like asexual or something a lot of people speculate speculate about this asexuality there's no way anyway look no. I've, I've got personal feelings which would be highly controversial about michael's sexuality but believe me there was uh, one there yeah i don't think you can be asexual and have sort of the energy and vitality in his songs almost and and the lyrics obviously yeah. yeah, well, you could argue there was a preoccupation with sexuality there, or at least a diversion mm. of his sexuality. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Whole different podcast, wow. I'd say. Hey, Third Eye, bring us back to the music. What else? Uh, what are the other standout tracks here? Actually, uh, Who Is It is also a pretty outstanding track from the rest because um, he also goes really personal on this one. The, um, re- the vocal performance is really realistic on this one because you can really tell by hearing his voice and his expression that he's living a bad chapter in his life. And the lyrics are also really deep and meaningful because he tells how he feels after a very important breakup, which has left him really, really lonely. And added to to the track, there's a mysterious beat that um, deconstructs at the end, like it, it keeps losing loops um, uh, until it has like two at the end. So yeah, that, 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 that track is really outstanding from the rest. Yeah. I love who is it. I also love the beatboxing that he did on Oprah, which was so cool. I remember the cassette single that I had started with 
that portion of that performance from the show as like kind of an intro. And um, I, I don't know where it is. I don't have it anymore, but that's a great track. And I love the violins as sort of in, in the bridge of the song. That's my favorite part of the whole record, the way they harmonize and it, it, it brings it to such a, another level. And the video is really great too. I don't know why he didn't release that video in America, but I'm going to take us back to black or white. This was fascinating to me that he actually invested money yeah. well before black or white in uh, morph morphing technology, yeah. if you want to call it that. Uh, and obviously with the intention that it would be used in his video clip, I still think it stands up today as really, really special effect. Yes. To be honest, when I watch this, there's some in uh, previous videos where you go, no, not so much. Amazing. And I love the fact that he's got all those different nationalities blending into each other. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. With the purpose, I suppose, of showing us that we're all human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've all made the same stuff sort of thing. Yeah, we all look different, but there you go. That first single, though, uh, Rocco. <laughs> yeah, I loved I love Black or White, and I love that video. And that morphing technology, it was – no one saw anything like it at the time. And um, it was such a beautiful, perfect way of illustrating the song's message. And uh, I remember <clears throat> watching uh, the video, the longer video, when there's like that ex- the Panther version. And I remember <clears throat> watching it, it right before he breaks the car, before he does anything. He's just kind of dancing in the in the st- empty street, and I hadn't seen anyone dance like that before. And I remember turning to my mom saying, "What is he doing?" And she was like, well, he's dancing. And I thought, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> it was completely new to me. I think that co- that was a great deal of, of controversy, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, and he, he actually added in the, when it came out on home video, he added graffiti with, like, racist slurs and stuff on it just to kind of drive home the point that he was trying to make. Because he always said that that was him expressing his his anger at um, racism, which tied in with the what the video and the song were about. I really, I really enjoy the message because the, the message is really important and it's actually transmitted in a really intelligent way because it's a really catchy song. The, the guitar riff, I think it sticks to your head really easily. So with, with the track being that catchy, the message also sticks into your mind as well. So that's a really intelligent way of promoting um, equality of races. The image of Michael Jackson we have now would not be a particularly family-friendly one, to be honest. At the time, he was extremely Disney-esque. Mm. Families tuned in for the premiere of Black and White, and there was an enormous amount of complaint about that end section to the point where he actually apologised. Because at the end, Megs, you might not know because it's often cut off in the versions mm. that you can see on YouTube. He just And he says, as he was filming it, he just... Uh, freestyled and let loose there was a lot of uh, yeah as these guys have said smashing of things a lot of anger Mm. um and grabbing of crotch it was quite sexually charged as well according to conservative people at least and so yeah he apologized not so much for the video but for the fact that it was done as part of that premiere which was sort of a little bit of a family event i suppose right that's interesting Mm. but and that's not yeah i don't know it sounds like he was just putting artistic expression above almost the audience in a way Remember the Time is often talked about by fans as one of the best video clips he's ever made. Remember the Time's probably looking back as the one that the video that sticks out to me the most, along with the black or white. Um, this is probably the video that I was the most mem- mesmerized watching. 
um, mm. even through. I think you could put it out today and I think it still would hold up as along with current music videos of today. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was quite funny as Eddie Murphy is the pharaoh um, <laughs> trying to get Michael Jackson off his daughter, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, well, I watched it when I was little and I just, it captured my imagination and I thought it was awesome and cool and, and I probably played with my toys as Michael Jackson or something. I don't know. It just captured my imagination. Everything was much simpler back then. And he's dancing in formation, which any regular listeners <laughs> will know. I think that needs to be brought back big time. <laughs> yeah. Well, formation. Like in massive formation with heaps of people That's in right. Egypt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> outstanding choreography unbelievable i mean oh, it's an yeah. understatement to say it's outstanding choreography yeah it's so good very very incredible and aman beautiful one of the lines in there some people speculate is about princess diana that because oh. they used to have late night phone calls when we say late night oh. that's because of a time difference people make a big fuss <laughs> of that for one of them it was late night but they talk for hours and um yeah there's a line in there's there about line, yeah. staying on the phone from night till dawn we or stay on like the th- yeah exactly yeah yeah i like that the fact that that video clip has a sense of humor as well all that lead up before michael jackson all those poor old souls yeah. trying to entertain them taken to the lions yep absolutely i love it and then i always find i have to admit i just find it very amusing that if that was a real thing that story was real mm. and all of a sudden <laughs> michael jackson was there going, well yeah. <laughs> it's very funny yeah yeah what are the underrated songs on this album that you listen to a lot that you think most people don't pay enough attention to well, for me, I like the ballads. I mean, I love this whole album, but for me, the ballads on this album are so beautiful. Uh, Tim, you mentioned, say, yeah. Rocco, I've got a, before you go into that, mm-hmm. the ballads are often the most criticised part of Dangerous because people see them as heal the uh, as um, we are the world part two and well, stuff like that. You as, know, as one of the anthems. Yeah. You know what? I think people just feel that way because "We Are the World" came first. I actually prefer "Heal the World." I think that's a better song, and um, I love it. I think it's a beautiful track. I love the way the choir comes in towards the end. It's so inspiring. I love um, "Gone Too Soon," which you mentioned, Tim, which was actually dedicated to Ryan White, who was a boy who passed away um, of AIDS, who Michael um, took up a friendship with. And uh, Will You Be There, which is my favorite Michael Jackson song of all time in his entire career. That is my favorite song of his. It's got this gospel feel. It's very spiritual. And um, again, the the choir, which uh, I believe is the same choir from Man in the Mirror, and also Madonna's Like a Prayer. Um, so good, so beautiful. And the spoken word passage at the end, um, is just great. I think a lot of people sometimes dismiss that song because it was in Free Willy and they think, oh, that's that movie song or whatever. But you have to listen to the entire seven and a half minute long album version, especially with the Beethoven choir intro. It, it's perfect. Just perfect. And I love that song too. And unfortunately, though, Michael Jackson was found guilty in a Roman court, apparently, of plagiarism against an Italian singer-songwriter for this yeah, track. For this track. Mm. Oh, look, nearly every one of the tracks on Dangerous had had a lawsuit against it. Yeah. And he even sang in one of the depositions to prove that he had written It Will Come To Me, which one it was. Um, that was for Dangerous. Dangerous, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to see that. That just goes with the territory, I think. Yeah, of course. Um, I've got to say, you either like songs like Will You Be There and Heal the World or you don't. 
and I I feel sorry for people who can't like them because they're beautiful songs. Yeah. And and that one, Will You Be There, is epic. It goes on and on. It doesn't try to wrap itself up in three minutes, that's for sure. Uh, it's And the lyrics are biblical. There are some theories that say that it's Michael talking to a love interest. There are some people saying that it's Michael talking to God. There are some people saying that it's Michael talking to his fans, kind of about his place as a famous person or an artist or whoever. I think it's sort of a combination of all three. Oh, and for me, there's no question in my mind, (laughs) of course, that he's not actually talking to anyone. This is him yearning for help. He desperately wants somebody to understand him and help him. I don't think it's Mm. specifically to anyone. I think he's just talking about his own loneliness, actually. Mm. Well, and can I briefly mention that my friend is very strange. He moved from China at 14 to Australia or some old age like that and then he really likes Michael Jackson's music he, he got really into all western things and Michael Jackson was one of them and he really loves the ballads he loves mm-hmm. heal the world and will you be there and all of that sort of stuff but especially heal the world and it's always been funny to me like he really latched onto those ones and Michael's music speaking across cultures and across times yeah, so. I guess so. Some of his performances of Heal the World are a bit sick to me, frankly. Like, I really do. I, I actually do agree with some of the criticism that when he paints himself as Jesus Christ, that's going way too far for me. Yeah. There's, something, there's a difference between being a little bit ironic and saying you're a pop god yeah. to actually literally saying I am the saviour. And I believe that when I believe he was starting with his medications and stuff to absolutely lose his marbles towards the end well, of the dangerous campaign. How could you not with well, yeah. all of these fans like just bowing down yeah. at you? There was no irony or sarcasm or anything in well, those performances. Yeah. There wasn't. There was it was beyond pop. And well, it was moving into the biblical. When you're, yeah, when you're talented and vulnerable to narcissism, I guess when you have that psychotic of following, mm. it's going to have that effect. Having an alternate um, perception, I mean, you know, art is open to interpretation. And I think that it's also very possible that Michael himself, instead of saying, I am Jesus Christ, I am the savior person, he was maybe maybe saying that the world needs this kind of savior to help. And maybe he just cast himself in that role. I Again, I can't be in his head or know what he was thinking, but I think that it is entirely possible that that's not exactly what he was trying to say with those performances. I am curious to know what both of you think. I mean, Michael Jackson simplifying war to, you know, somebody being able to walk up to a tank and putting a rose in its nozzle. Give me a break. Um, What do you two think of this? Um, Some of the highlights for me, I actually really do like the title track. I think that probably, I think that could have been a single. Um, Heal the World was actually um, donated by Michael Jackson to the James Bulger Foundation that his mother set up. Do Do you know the story of him? Jamie Bolger, wasn't he a poor little toddler? Yeah, he got, got murdered by two 10-year-olds. Yeah, he they played mm. the song at his funeral and Michael Jackson actually donated the song to the charity his mother set up to be the theme of it. I love Gone Too Soon, which mainly is more for personal reasons as well. Um, yeah. I do like uh, But Heal the World, Back to Heal the World. I, I think that's got the most stunning intros of any song I've ever heard. And actually, I prefer the... F- first 45 seconds to the rest of the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, 
I like Will You Be There as well, but I do think the album version does drag a little bit, personally speaking. Um, I think Jam was quite underrated as well. I think that could have been a bigger hit. Can I talk about my favourite track as well? Because we haven't talked about this one, and I also think it's really, really underrated. Uh, it's Keep the Faith, um, because mm. I think the vibe in the song is really positive, and the message is really beautiful and motivating. And Mike's soft, good-humoured vocals in the verses and loud, rough, motivational ones in the chorus and bridges complement it perfectly. So it makes the entire vibe of the song funny, cute, and catchy as well. I think that's yeah. a really, really underrated track from Dangerous. That was the song I wanted to talk about, too. I love that track. That That's a, a true gospel song, and that was written by... Saida Garrett, who sang background with Michael on the Bad Tour and also co-wrote um, Man in the Mirror from the Bad album. And she's the one singing in I Just Can't Stop Loving You, isn't she? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She also sang with uh, Madonna on the Reinvention Tour. Hey, Third Eye, have yeah. you got a score out of 10 for Dangerous? Yes, I do. Well, I mean, I've got a pretty uh, peculiar way of scoring albums. For me, scores like 6 or 7 out of 10 are not actually bad. They're really, really decent. But for me, this album is a 9 out of 10, which means I really, really loved it. Because there's only one song that um, I would that I would skip when listening when throughout Ooh, the whole what's thing. What's that? What's that? Um, I'm sorry to say that, but going too soon. <laughs> I'm sorry for the uh -huh. revelation. But it's the one track that I would skip. Because in my opinion... In that track, there's a lack of emotion. He he should have been more. He should have had more more expression, Michael, in the in the vocal performance. Wow. My he opinion, cries at the very emotion. end of it. I know. How much more expression do we need? He breaks down. He can't finish the song. Well, yeah, me, but like in in songs like I don't know, heal the world. He screams at the end with this loud, mm. rough vocal performance. Like he didn't do that in Gone Too Soon, but that's my opinion. That's the only song I would skip, but my score out of 10 is 9 out of 10. Pretty bloody good score, 9 out of 10 there. Josh, over in the UK? I'd probably give it an 8. Um, I do really do enjoy this album. I'd probably say it's my probably my third favourite, actually, albums of his. I'd probably say Battle Thriller would probably take the top spot for me. It's sort of interchangeable, those two. But I do really like this one. It is a standout out of his discography, I think. Megs. Um, am I allowed to mention one more thing? <laughs> of course before you I give can. It's your show. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that we obviously know Bruno Mars is very influenced by Michael Jackson. Yeah, and lazy Bruno Mars who well, you know made one great pop album, was given God's blessed bounty of... <laughs> talent audience and then wastes it yeah sorry go ahead well um it, there's a song that he did with ed sheeran for ed sheeran's collaboration album i think in 2018 um called blow which is like a really rock song that you don't like because it's so rocky yes um and i reckon like that that song r really reminds me of um give in to me which is the rock song on this album mm -hmm. like the really rock song on this and i don't know it just makes sense to me i don't know many rock songs so i can't really speak about it very well, but mm. they sound very similar to me. And Bruno Mars adored Michael Jackson, so um, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, an interesting comparison, mm. and there's no doubt a lot of Bruno's work you can hear in Michael. Yes, and yeah. his dancing and all that. 
Um, but I would give the album a, a nine out of ten as well. Yeah. Like it's just crazy. Like it's it's just wall to wall, isn't it? Rocco. I'm gonna go one step further and give this a ten out of ten. And I don't think I would do that with any of Michael's other albums. To me, this is his best album. I think that people like to look at Thriller and Bad and even Off the Wall just because they seem to get more attention and they were more commercially successful. Um, I think that just because something was more successful doesn't mean that it was the best. And I think that this is, you know, Thriller was a better album than Off the Wall. Bad was a better album than Thriller. And I think Dangerous was a better album than Bad. I think he kept improving. And I really feel like this was his artistic peak to me. And uh, I love how varied the album is. Um, the dance songs are incredibly infectious and just make you want to move. The ballads are beautiful. I love the rock influences he throws in there too. Um, uh, getting Slash from Guns N' Roses to play, for instance, on Black or White and Given to Me. Um, the little bit of gospel he throws in there. I mean, it's it's and it feels cohesive, even though they're all different styles and genres that he plays around with. Um, and, you know, I think this was the start of a kind of formula conceptu conceptually that he would follow with his subsequent albums. But I think he did it the best here. I don't think this album can be faulted. I well, really don't. There are songs on it that I wouldn't are not my favourite, and they're those rocky ones. But as someone who's objectively looking at as a piece of pop art, this is flawless. I mean, you, I, I, look, even the socially conscious material on here, which bothers me as his career progresses beyond dangerous, is in check at this stage, at least. Like it's it's mentioned, but it's not getting ridiculous to the point mm. of Earth Song. <laughs> or have you seen my childhood and, you know, these things yeah. that I, I don't think are particularly clever. I think they become much more blatant and just um, without any nuance from yeah. this point forward. In Dangerous, they're kept in check to an extent. And uh, I just can't fault it. Dangerous is, is the perfect album. You well, have to be brave to take a mark off here. Well, some people would take a mark off for the <clears throat> momentum of it. Like some people say that it sort of does funky songs and then it does ballad songs and then funky and then ballad again. Like it doesn't have... Isn't like that a, a good thing? Well, I don't know. It's not very cohesive in that way. Oh, golly. If dangerous like, isn't cohesive. I don't know what is. Well, a lot of people make that criticism that it just sort of throws them all in in random blots, you know what I mean? Like it's not – it wasn't planned out deliberately like this is the exactly the right order. They're all good songs, but the way that they're thrown in isn't necessarily perfect, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, you make me mad. <laughs> you make me so mad. Except for Gone Too Soon, I can't see anything that really doesn't flow here. Mm. Um, well, but he certainly proved himself that he could do it without Quincy Jones, which I think is what he was trying to prove, that he can just go off on his own and doesn't need the familiar producer and he can just make a, a work of art. Hey, guys, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Josh Rocco and Mr. Mysterious Third Eye, and, of course, you, Meg, about the Dangerous yeah. album. I'm hoping that you guys will come on board with some more re retro reviews of his other work, but starting with Dangerous has been a good spot. Hey, Third Eye, have you had, have you had a good time? Yeah, yeah, um, I have had the time of my life and I'm really forward of um, reviewing more albums with you in the future. I love thank the name you, too. It just feels, it's very Michael Jackson-esque, isn't it? It feels <laughs> like I'm being watched by something mysterious and heavenly. Mm. And Josh, how are you going? Uh, yeah, it was great. It was nice to actually do an album that I was a bit more familiar with than the last time with um, Tony, Tony Piran's album. Uh, <laughs> 
so it's nicer to an album that I was a bit than somebody that I actually knew. Poor Josh, starting with Tony Perrin. Oh, At least you graduated quite quickly and yeah, got to <laughs> rap tracks. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Couldn't talk and cheese. Yeah. And Rocco, I'm checking in with you before you walk off into this world of ours. Are you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing great. I had fun. This was uh, an album that I was so excited to talk about a big part of my growing up so yeah it's been fun good on you guys thanks very much for helping us retro review dangerous 